Hello and welcome to the Wellness Trinity Podcast, where we interview top holistic experts and bring you natural solutions for modern day wellness. Let's get started with your host, Dr. Jacqueline. Hi, welcome. Thank you for joining the Wellness Trinity Podcast. I'm Dr. Jacqueline from thewellnesstrinity.com, where we provide natural solutions for modern day wellness. Today, we're going to discuss on our Women's Health Series, Anti-Aging Medicine for Joint Pain with Dr. Angela Cortell. Just a little disclaimer before we get started, what we discuss in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. What you do with the information is to be used at your discretion as the recommendations are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you having a hard time conceiving? Are you concerned about raising healthy children? Would you like to age gracefully? These are all concerns that many women have. And in order to have healthy pregnancies in children, and age gracefully with youthful skin, vibrant wellness, and incredible joints, we need to thoroughly cleanse the body in this day and age because there are more than 85,000 chemicals that are just plaguing the earth. And these chemicals cause a whole slew of problems. And a lot of it is related to the backup in the liver that causes diminished hormone production. Our protocols at the Wellness Trinity systematically removes layers of infections and toxins thus fully cleansing the body. It gets you back to homeostasis where your body is happiest and healthiest when done correctly. I am happy to be on this protocol and I'm actually waiting to get pregnant because I want myself and my husband to be thoroughly cleansed before I even think of having a baby. And I don't fear growing old and falling apart because I know that if my body is at homeostasis, it's going to be just fine. I was told I look 10 years younger in my new headshot, so this stuff works. Check out the link in the show notes to schedule your free 15-minute consultation to discover if we are a good fit to work together. And if so, I will help you get to the root of your health challenges. So I met Angela Cortal just recently, and I was fascinated that she talks about joint pain and causes for that. And so I decided to ask her to come on the show and and just unveil that. We're doing a woman's health series, and as women age, sometimes they find themselves with fibromyalgia, more joint pain, et cetera. And so this is a hot topic. I know people do not want to be in pain. It's not a fun thing, but and there is a root cause of why it is happening in the first place. So Dr. Angela Cortal helps women get to the bottom of chronic joint pain so they can heal and live life to the fullest. She is a naturopathic physician who focuses on regenerative medicine for degenerative joint disease. She helps her patients understand the true causes of joint pain so they can be addressed and healed. Her new book, Younger Joints Today, will be launched at the end of July 2020. Dr. Angela Cortal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just dive in. Um, And actually, first, I want to, I'm just so curious. I mean, we just met recently, and I would love to know, how did you even get in this field in the first place? I know everybody has a story. I mean, did you have joint pain too? Is that why you're so into this topic? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, my my own uh, long long story with uh, chronic joint pains is what got me to where I am today. Uh, following a skiing accident now almost 20 years ago, I had a surgery, and uh, although the surgery went fine, I did not heal very well, 
and had lingering weakness and joint instability. It was my knee um, uh, that had been injured. And even going through medical school, it was really a, a slow process for myself to put all the pieces together. And early on in my practice, I decided I'm not heading in the direction that I want to be. Uh, look, looking down the road, um, dec decades to come, I want to be as strong and healthy as possible. And my knee was really saying that it was on a, on a, on a different path to early arthritis and decided to kind of put together my medical education and uh, current research out there into figuring out what is really going on, what, what can be addressed, what can be reversed, and, um, and then working with my patients over, over the, the eight years that I've been practicing. I really just kind of put together what are, what are the essential pieces that I think really um, most people should be aware of if they do have chronic joint pain. And now I can happily say that uh, my, my own knee pain uh, is, is eliminated and uh, I'm stronger than I ever have been in my life. I went from barely being able to do a yoga class, just being able to um, do poses on a mat, to now uh, deadlifting or squatting my body weight on a barbell. And uh, yeah, so, so I have younger joints than I did when I was 20. And just love love sharing uh, my message and, and the information. That's awesome. Well, the fact that you could even squat at all is a huge deal. I mean, I know there's a lot of um, pressure that goes on the joints and especially in the knees when people are squatting. So I am just so excited to pick your brain about this topic because that alone just set, tells us wonders of you know what is possible for people if they do have joint pain. And I know a lot of people are very, feel very defeated in this area, probably too, because I mean, a lot of times we just get diagnoses where we, it's almost like a death sentence, or if we have pain or something like that, then it, it's a life sentence of, of that situation. And so, you know, what in the first place, what is degenerative joint disease? Yeah, so uh, so I think it's great to talk about that because there's uh, there's a lot of names for what can be going on, and part of it is even does someone have that diagnosis? Is that the only thing that's going on? And really, the investigation there I, I think is where any of us should start. So, uh, degenerative joint disease is also called osteoarthritis. So, if anyone out there has heard one or the other, they're they're the same thing. Those are those are interchangeable. And um, I can say over, over the last generation of, um, of medicine, we often call it uh, a wear and tear kind of disease. I, um, I uh, strongly uh, contest that it's just wearing and tearing, that there's actually a lot of things that can be going on in the background that can create arthritis earlier than uh, would otherwise happen or, or accelerate it, make it, make it worse. Um, earlier in our ages. So talking about knees, for example, that's one of the most common areas where someone will have uh, osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease. And so a lot of the focus is on the cartilage and that's um, for anyone out there who hasn't thought about all the little structures of uh, joints. So, so we have kind of two bones rolling on each other in, in a joint and the cartilage is the surface of those and it's supposed to be uh, part shock absorber and part just a very smooth surface 
so that we can do our daily life and exercise and activities and go up and downstairs comfortably and not have it feel like it's crunching and cracking and popping and 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 feeling painful and achy as is often the case when that cartilage is thinning and maybe it is degenerating a little bit irregularly so the surfaces aren't as smooth as they used to be um, there, there can be other things going on in terms of um, bony nodules and other formations in the joint, but it's often that that loss of cartilage that is the, the, the hallmark uh, there. So, well, obviously we talked about how you can have an injury and that can cause that. What about other root causes that you find? What, what do you, what are common root causes that are, are you know, associated with osteoarthritis? Yeah, so I would say that there's um, a couple of overarching categories and we can say that they are non-modifiable risk factors like genetics, uh, age, we, we don't really have a choice in our, in our age, uh, gender, women uh, are at an increased risk for osteoarthritis, and um, like you mentioned, injuries or, or workplace, if there's a repetitive injury or a repetitive duty that someone is just doing day in and day out, that um, if it's putting extra, extra pressure on a certain joint, that can be creating it. But then there's all the, all the modifiable risk factors, we would say. And, um, and, and these are things that we actually have a say in the matter. And I would start first with uh, nutritional status. There are definitely some key factors there where just depending on what we are or aren't getting into our diet for our unique needs has a, has a big impact on how our bodies can heal. And that also includes um, joints, how the, how the joints heal. So uh, even though someone that may have a diagnosis of osteoarthritis, it's, uh, I, I like what you were saying earlier, the, the, the life sentence. So, so this, is, this is kind of the, the title that you're given for the rest of your life. But we know that cells are always turning over, always, always regenerating. Um, we, don't, we don't have the, the exact same cells now that we will a decade from now. So we have, uh, we have the ability to, to change that future trajectory there. So I look in terms of if there's any kind of um, metabolic disease, inflammatory disease going on, then we may, may be needing to uh, modify someone's uh, nutritional intake. Uh, generally, kind of the, the nutritional um, pieces that are important to the musculoskeleton is adequate levels of protein, uh, healthy sources of fats, and, uh, and some of the reasons for these is that what they, what they are um, is really building blocks, building blocks of healthy joint tissue. Uh, one, one that um, people may be familiar with out there that is often a supplement is collagen. And, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be taken as a supplement. It's actually widely available in a, in a number of types of foods. And the reason for, for that being a common uh, supplement and also what I'm talking about with nutrition is that it has a few unique amino acids uh, that, are, that are specifically needed when your body is making new cartilage cells, which uh, at any stage in our life, uh, we will be making new cartilage cells. So. Um, so if someone is trying to get their joints to heal, trying to encourage those processes, uh, protein and, and healthy fats and um, collagen is specifically is, is an important thing to look at there. 
and okay, so that's just one. <laughs> that's just, okay, so so we got so we got nutrition down. <laughs> Well, I'm here. I'm ready to just, again, pick your brain. I told you before the show, I was like, I'm ready to pick your brain. I love, I just love talking to brilliant minds like you. So go ahead and expand. Okay. <laughs> so we got one topic, uh, nutrition. Uh, uh, the, the, the second big topic is movement. How someone is moving, if they are moving, if someone has a sedentary job and a sedentary life. Then, I, then how I think of that is that we're really just not asking much. We're not asking uh, much of the joints, of the muscles around the joints, and it really is a, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of a um, approach here where I get patients moving. Moving is kind of step one here. If, if someone really does have a, a quite inactive life, we're not gonna be getting the oxygen, the nutrition, the blood flow to and around those joints. Uh, joints themselves don't have any direct um, vasculature, any, any vessels or arteries going inside of them. So they need our movement to do what's called passive diffusion. Um, so if we're talking about a shoulder, if I'm moving my shoulder like this, then, then we're passively diffusing more, more oxygen and nutrients into that joint. Um, so so I, I get patients moving. I team up often with someone who can assess their movement if it's not me doing that to see, uh, again, if we're using knees for the example, how are they putting their weight on their knees? And like you were saying with squats, yeah, a lot of people with knee or hip pain, other sites of arthritis, they won't even physically be able to do that. And so it's about finding where someone is and progressing them so we can increase their mobility, um, just the ranges of motion of that joint, and then work into, into getting strength, um, building up muscular strength, uh, around those joints, whether it's um, knees, hips, low back, pretty much anywhere is helpful because then we can distribute the load. So it's not just, uh, say if someone's just jogging uh, and, and the weight is just directly going straight down through the knee joint, if we're instead building up more muscles around there, they can take over more of that load. So that's, <laughs> that, that's another. Big well, topic. I appreciate that too. I have a personal training background as well. And so we are always looking at building the whole body versus sometimes people just want nice abs or nice arms or legs or whatever it is that they're, they're keen to. Um, but I always try to approach it with that whole body approach too, because um, especially if someone's trying to lose weight which it, I'm sure can totally tie into this whole topic as well, that the more muscle you have on your body, the more fat you're gonna burn, et cetera. Um, but even, I love how you mentioned how it ties into even joint mobility and osteoarthritis and how functional someone's body is. Yes, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of getting my patients first moving at all and then, and then getting, um, Someone, someone to individualize a program, and yes, I'm never, I'm never focusing on abs. <laughs> I might be focusing on glutes if it's hip pain, for example. I'm wanting, I'm wanting someone to to build up more of that lower, lower abdomen strength there, and and starting, starting where someone needs to start. So if it's walking, tai chi, qigong, gentle yoga, great. Like any any movement, I love. And then, and then progressing through 
uh, what what do we want to activate? What do we want to strengthen specific to someone's um, someone's needs? And yeah, you can't go wrong with full over body weight exercises. I I just want um, anyone who's getting into that strengthening topic uh, to be working with a professional. I don't I don't tell my patients to just okay go out and get a heavy barbell and do something. <laughs> No, <laughs> yeah. that wouldn't Dave. That wouldn't be good. Work work with a professional. Um, but uh, but but that's uh, but yeah, that that's where I'm always wanting to to encourage my patients. Um, even even if they're feeling a bit stuck with their current pain, how I um, what I guess what I what I say there is that I don't want the exercise to increase the pain, but we can't usually we can't wait until someone's pain is zero to start exercising. So mm -hmm. it's about finding what's comfortable um, and what's not aggravating anything there and, and just kind of gently boosting someone who has some uh, arthritis, some joint pain into activity uh, so, so that we can kind of build upon that mm -hmm. and not just be stuck in the, well, my knees hurt, so I can't exercise. I, I don't accept that. Uh, it just needs some more uh, creative planning there. Oh, that's a great word that you said, creative planning. Um, I agree. I mean, we need blood flow and moving is something that is will help that blood flow. And then if we're not moving, I mean, well, first of all, let's put it this way. Our bodies were designed to move. So if we're not doing what our body is designed to do, then you can just imagine that it's not going to be very happy with you, right? Um, and then, then we get the spiraling downward effect and pretty much every area in our body, even our mental health. I mean, our brain needs that oxygen as well. And when we're, when we're moving at all, it helps with that. So, you know, I just want to um, kind of spiral back. And you had made a good point in the beginning where you said how um, you were talking about gender. Gender can affect our, our pain. Um, as time goes on. So why do, why do you see women have more pain as they age? Uh, I, so, so a big piece of that, I believe, is our, is our hormones and, and how those change over the decades. So uh, a woman can uh, have pain or, or pain can come on at any point in our life. Uh, however, it's much more likely to come on around that perimenopausal time frame, which for most women is about 50, 50 to 60, um, uh, any, any time in there. So we often are thinking of other quote unquote hormonal symptoms or hormonal messages uh, that our body is saying it's, it's, we're transitioning out of periods, uh, whether those are becoming irregular, hot flashes, night sweats, um, maybe sleep or energy issues. So a lot of women have heard, oh, okay, uh, hot flashes and night sweats uh, means that I'm going through menopause. But what isn't talked about is how common joint pain is. Joint pain might be even more common uh, than the night sweats and hot flashes for, for a signal of that perimenopausal shift. And the reason for that is uh, mostly related to our estrogen. There's, there's potentially changes, and this is a little bit individualized, with progesterone, testosterone, some of these what we'd call sex hormones. But for the most part, it's the estrogen. And the reason for that is that, well, pretty much all of our hormones are cycling like this through our 20s, 30s, 40s. And then in that perimenopausal time frame, they're cycling, but they're, they're, they're going down. And uh, for some women, that may be from their, let's say, 30s down to their later 50s, a drop of like 99% of their estrogen. 
Um, and and that's, that's bound to have a lot of widespread effects. And part of that is for us uniquely, our, our joints, our joint health. Um, so cartilage, ligaments, tendons, even muscles, all of that for, for us women does rely on a healthy amount of estrogen to replace itself, to, um, to regenerate, to, to keep going. Um, and, and, and so there's a wide, uh, wide span of ways we can see this. Uh, there's a lot of animal research out there uh, where they remove estrogen from a rat or a mouse or a rabbit and see, okay, arthritis comes on right away. We give that animal estrogen and can reverse that osteoarthritis. Uh, in, us, in us humans, though, uh, what, what we see is that uh, arthritis and often in knees, hips, and the spine, too, because there's a lot of joints uh, between all those vertebrae in the spine, where for women who uh, have the biggest drop in estrogen, we see earlier arthritis starting, we see the arthritis accelerating, so getting worse quicker, and um, and we see that also even in discs. So, so degenerative disc disease, which I say is like a cousin of degenerative joint disease. So it's the similar processes of those tissues becoming thinner, drier, uh, we can just say crunchier and older, and we don't want that to happen, and, uh, but uh, low estrogen will, will bring that on much sooner. Okay. Do you think that with everything going on in this uh, our modern day with all the chemicals and toxicity, do you think that people are having more of a drop in their estrogen as they age versus maybe 100 years ago? Uh, yes, I wasn't around a hundred years ago, but what but what I can see is that uh, it may be uh, at least part of what we'd call xenoestrogens, so different kinds of plastic compounds in the environment, in um, in home products, uh, skincare products, that that may be setting the stage for for our estrogen to drop off um, more than our grandparents, grandmothers, for example. So do you think that our grandparents uh, probably had less or, or great grand, just past generations before we started really polluting the earth? <laughs> um, do you think they had as much joint pain as we do now? Uh, I, I think there was, a, there was uh, I, I, I would say likely less, less severity and less, uh, and, and if it did come on, perhaps when it, someone was maybe 80 or certainly 90 rather than 50. Okay. Wow. Well, that's a huge jump. <laughs> 90 to 50. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that you're here and you're, you're preaching this and you're, you're telling us what's going on because I don't want people to be suffering for those 40 years. I mean, that's a long time to have pain. I know I've actually had pain even in my 20s until I started addressing certain root causes where I, I realized I was deficient and I had too many toxins or certain parasites, et cetera. Um, once I started rebalancing my body more, I, had, I, I didn't really have that pain either. It was even harder for me to work out fully as well. So, I mean, uh, do you see this at younger ages as well too? Uh, yes, yes. And, and I, and I, there's quite a few reasons for that. One is that I do believe we were saying not only hormonal deficiencies coming on more in women in their fifties to seventies, but, um, but I've seen women who 
are maybe in their 20s or earlier mid 30s and their hormones if i just had looked at their labs and not them would think that's that's perhaps a woman who's 65 like we're just we're just seeing um an epidemic of hormone deficiencies and toxins is a piece uh our our sedentary lifestyles is a piece um, because I have quite a number of patients who are younger adults and, um, and, and they're just really not active. Their, their work is not physically active at all. Their, their life is not active. And, and there's this sort of, um, I guess we could say snowball effect, but a good snowball effect between being physically active, working out, building, building that strength. And that having a positive response on our hormones, uh, estrogen and testosterone, are really supported uh, if if uh, women do have any sort of strength training, resistance activities in their daily life. And uh, and another another part is our is our lifestyle. So I had talked about um, uh, exercise and nutrition, and and our and our lifestyle generally is such an important piece. If someone is not sleeping, they're they're not healing well. If they have a high stress life and and their stress levels is up sky high all the time, uh, then that's creating a lot of other kinds of hormonal cascades associated with cortisol and some of our neurotransmitters that are what we call the fight or flight response. That actually has a negative impact on joint health as well. We see people who have higher cortisol levels will have earlier earlier and worse arthritis. Um, so, so just, just in our lifestyle, there's, there's a number of factors why, um, they don't, they don't discriminate based on age, uh, whether that's sleep deprivation, uh, being, being high stress, um, other lifestyle factors like alcohol and tobacco intake, um, all, all, all of these can have an, a detrimental effect no matter what someone's age is. So any of those combined with uh, potential tox toxic uh, toxicities in the air, the water supply, uh, household detergents, you name it. And, and, it, and it can really be a, um, a recipe for, for chronic joint pain starting at 25, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much that's coming at us. And then now we have these situation with this pandemic and then it just seems like 2020 was a year of one crazy thing right after another <laughs> so talk about our cortisol going through the roof I mean, did you see the connection this year with all the fear that was being pumped and um, people having more joint pain possibly uh, I will say that I uh, I definitely noticed a big shift in um, I would say the the late uh, late March to, to April about a month there I uh, for a lot of patients who I was checking in and, and for that time, it was pretty much just um, tele telemedicine and uh, and we were seeing all sorts of quote unquote weird things pop up. So, so yeah, aches and pains that had never been there or hadn't been there for a decade. Um, other things that, that might be more expected associated with higher stress, like trouble sleeping, um, some anxiety or depression coming up but even other things like menstrual cycles all over the place. So if anyone's listening out there and they're like, that was a wacky cycle, you're not alone. Um, cycles being weird, weirdly timed, coming too early, coming too late, being, being very symptomatic, having a lot of uh, cramps and um, emotions all over the place. Um, 
even uh, return of hot flashes and night sweats for some of my patients who hadn't had that in years. Wow. Uh, so, so I feel like we saw like this really big societal bump in, in just, it was, it was nearly impossible for that to not affect people. And now we're kind of entering a sort of a, uh, homeostasis as good as we can uh, manage because at least it's not really everything new right now in terms of uh, in terms of kind of life and uh, work and situational changes. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been a year of um, having the opportunity to practice grounding and, mm -hmm. uh, and resiliency in in the face of uh, stressors and change for sure. Yeah, well, it's very interesting when you have certain things like the what's come up this year, um, how just watching people and how they react. Um, I noticed that my other practitioner friends react a whole different way than some of my other friends and family that, um, or just watching people on social media that don't really know the things like you're talking about, like grounding and using the right proper supplementation and exercise and nutrition. Um, you know, I, I, I love that you mentioned the stress piece because I mean, it's so huge in how our, uh, like how healthy we are in general. So, um, you know, on that note, you were talking about neurotransmitters, which I love. I I'm all about the brain and how healthy that is. Uh, obviously neurotransmitters can affect our whole body. So can you expand a little bit on that and how that affects pain too? Uh, sure. So, um, so I would say where we see this most is in uh, chronic pain, which just to differentiate is only a matter of timing. So acute pain, someone usually had an injury. Uh, it, it was fairly recent within a few weeks. Chronic pain, it will be going on for months, years, decades. Doesn't really say why or where it's coming from, but pretty much any source of chronic pain, those pain signals over time, have they, they have their own sort of circuitry in the nervous system. And as that, let's say joint, hip joint, low back hurts for a prolonged period of time, it's like um, that, that circuitry is becoming more and more grooved over time. So, so it's kind of a, uh, again, just describing it as like a snowball effect where the, the pain signal is ingraining itself to, uh, to really create this, um, this deepening uh, path where the body forgets what not being in pain is like. And uh, the chronic pain itself creates um, its own sensitization, we'll call it central sensitization, um, so patients who have chronic pain are more sensitive to the chronic pain. It's sort of this awful, awful situation that gets set up um, and, and is difficult to untangle sometimes, um, but, but, it, but it takes a recognition of that's not in someone's head. It's in, I guess we could say it's in their nerves. It's in their nervous system where between uh, the, the brain and the rest of the nervous system, uh, being, being in chronic pain creates its own pain loops, we could say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as I've learned too, endorphins are one of those neurotransmitters that help with pain. So if we're low on those, or if we don't have the building blocks like DLPA to build that, then we're just not going to have, we're, we're going to be in more pain in general. Um, have you seen that connection too? Uh, yes. Yes. And um, I've seen that in my practice. We can see that in research. 
so, so people who have really any kind of what we'd say is like a mental health diagnosis, which may or may not be a helpful label, but just to categorize um, people who have uh, anxiety or depression are more likely to have chronic pain and vice versa. Uh, an interesting um, correlation that I've been seeing and, and reading about and studying about more and more is about societal connection and its impact on pain. So people who are more uh, isolated and do not have very many relationships and are not really part of any sort of um, social circles, are more sensitive to pain, have uh, more years of chronic pain, have more severe chronic pain, and we see that vice versa is true as well. And, um, and there's been some really interesting research that I would not sign up for as, as, a, as a research participant where people being in a social interaction, being connected with others uh, can tolerate like a worse zap on their finger. They've even studied than someone sitting alone by themselves in a room. So we see that our pain threshold changes by, by our, our, our social connection. Wow. Well, that's the irony of what's going on right now, too. Um, well, I should say we're kind of we're moving out of this whole um, social isolation um, period of time. Who knows if we're going to ever have that again or not. But um, I mean, that was the irony of that time as well, too, where they're having a self quarantine, et cetera. And at the same time, we're trying to promote health and preventing getting a virus, et cetera. Uh, and then if we lower our, our, our immune system by not having people around, that's, that's quite an interesting irony that you bring up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's been we're we're all I guess we're we're all trying to figure that out and manage it best for ourselves that we can. Um, and that yeah, for some it's it's created um, as a challenge where they've been creating new types of connection, virtual virtual connections, distance connections, um, and that yeah, we're sort of here in Oregon, uh, kind of sort of rolling things back. But um, but yeah, we don't. We don't know what 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 holds on that. We're just I'm following that like everybody else day by day and week by week. Exactly. That's how I am. I'm not too far from you here, and it's I I go to the store one day and you have to wear a mask, and the next day you just don't know. You don't know what's happening, but um, you know that's where, like you said, grounding is so key. Uh, finding how to be centered, how to stay at peace um, in the midst of everything else around us. Not, just one day not knowing what to do, the next day you feel like you're on top of the world, etc. So, can you talk about inflammation a little bit? I I would think that that'd be something that you talk about in your book as well. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so a key area that we see when, as it relates to joint health and joint disease with inflammation is, um, is the extent to which a metabolic disease may be triggering that or bringing it on. So in the case, uh, probably the most classic example is metabolic syndrome. There's a wide, um, widespread effects of, um, kind of inflammatory results all over the body. Uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, uh, weight gain can be associated with that certainly, and um, and it's a pretty common uh, effect. There, there's almost invariably insulin resistance connected to that. So, so we have what I'll describe as a multi-systemic hormonal imbalance, where it's hormones and inflammation that are sort of setting each other off, and. Um, 
while someone can get a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome following a certain amount of criteria in in the us about seven out of eight adults have at least one aspect one one feature of uh, metabolic syndrome so we do know that metabolic disease is extremely common and um and how it uh works works against us you could say is via inflammation um we have certain uh, inflammatory cells in our body, well, we call them cytokines, um, they're coming from adipose tissue, so they're adipokines. And um, uh, leptin, adiponectin, visfatin are some of the more studied ones, specifically looking at uh, joint, joint disease, osteoarthritis. And what we see is a direct connection there between uh, between someone's levels of these. So adipose derived, they're they're basically inflammatory cells that are coming from fat tissue, and and are directly linked to earlier arthritis, worsening arthritis, really all the things that we do not want to happen. And and it's been really interesting uh, looking at the science on this. So knee osteoarthritis, one of the most common sites in um, in our bodies to have uh, the de degenerative joint disease, where where those adipokines come from is like fat tissue right next to the knee. <laughs> mm. So um, so yeah, there's there's some there's some small areas of fat uh, that are that are right next to the knee, and those just neighbors right right next door are setting off the inflammatory uh, environment in in the knees and and contributing for for many who who have. Pretty much anyone who has metabolic disease, it's not just their blood pressure. It's not just their uh, triglycerides or cholesterol test or or abdominal weight gain. It's it's also uh, in the background, also degenerating someone's joints. Mm, okay, so for the listeners that don't know, can you explain what is metabolic disease? Uh, yes. So. Um, so those are a few of the criteria that I that I mentioned. So they will usually say in a doctor's office, someone will get their blood pressure checked, someone will get their weight checked, someone will get some labs run, and 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 it's a matter of having several of those criteria. So elevated blood pressure, um, increased abdominal weight. So they'll actually take a tape measure and and um, measure around someone's abdomen. And on the blood work, checking total cholesterol levels, checking triglyceride levels, which those are just a part of a basic cholesterol check. So if anyone's had labs run every, every year or so, um, usually a cholesterol panel is on those and those can be checked at that point. And so if someone has uh, three of the markers positive, if they have, uh, let's say high cholesterol and high blood pressure and an increased abdominal obesity, uh, then, then they're they're told, okay, you have metabolic syndrome, uh, maybe if if it's if it's checked, if it's looked into at all, um, it it is it is pretty common out there. There's tens of millions of Americans uh, who have it. It's just not necessarily the top of uh, everyone's mind when when they're going into the doctor for for an annual check. Um, I I bring it up often with patients when I'm investigating joint pain because if it's present. It will be working against them getting any sort of uh, joint pain relief and healing that tissue. We need to find out if it's there so that we can address it. 
and part of that um, part of that connection between what's going on, what seems unrelated with the blood pressure and the cholesterol, and that doesn't really sound like it should have anything to do with the joints, is um, I, I briefly mentioned insulin resistance. So that's just an overproduction of insulin with meals, and say. Um, if we're looking at blood sugar levels, for example, and those are kind of going up and down with meals and insulin follows, insulin is the hormone that tells our, our blood sugar what to do, where, where to go, where to provide its energy. And, uh, and in the case of insulin resistance, those insulin uh, spikes are getting bigger and bigger over time. There's what I describe as an as a inefficiency, like the, the, the cells recognizing the insulin and responding and sort of just breaking down over time. So it'll be this feedback loop between more, more insulin being produced, more glucose hanging out in the, in the bloodstream. That's what we see as high uh, blood sugar. And, and if it's picked up on labs, then that can be pre-diabetic or diabetic. And so it's really the, the insulin, that, that high insulin levels is the connection between the metabolic syndrome and uh, degenerative joint disease. Mm. And how I explain that to patients is that it's the insulin itself uh, that's very irritating in, in, the, in the joint tissue. We can pick up increased insulin levels in someone's, um, actually in, in their joints, uh, in, in research they can find this. Um, and that all of that is also setting off what we just talked about in terms of the uh, inflammatory compounds, the, the adipokines. Okay. Okay. Thank you for connecting that. That was beautifully said. So, okay. Now, when people come to you, and I'm sure you probably mentioned some of this stuff in your book, and I think we've unraveled a little bit already, and you do your labs, you, you see the, the patient, and then you um, maybe diagnose them or, or find some root causes. What does your treatment look like after that? Uh, I, I, w I would say that in my mind, it's a framework of what's, what's going on, yes, to, to then strategize how we want to treat it. So, so we've touched on a, on a couple, but then I'll, um, I'll go into a few more. So assessing uh, nutrition and having a proper diagnosis, like figuring out if the pain is just coming literally from cartilage degeneration, or if there's also ligaments, tendons, nerves, like where, where is the pain really coming from? Um, so that nutrition exercise, uh, we, we spoke on a number of lifestyle components. Uh, we briefly touched on hormones and, um, and that I like to put together the piece of, is there any other hormonal symptoms uh, generally going on, evaluating that if we need to, um, and, and then really the, the only other piece of the of kind of a general framework that I use with patients is supplementation. Uh, what are they taking and do I like that? <laughs> do, I, do I think it's uh, beneficial to them? Do I think that's a quality product and a good ingredient and, and is it kind of right for, for them and, and, um, and their, their, their medical history as in is it interacting negatively with a medication they're on or is it redundant because they're just taking uh, a grocery bag of supplements because they're just kind of reading every single blog out there, you know, it can kind of get crazy. Uh, I tell patients like, if you just start taking everything that you read that could be good for you, you're going to end up taking a hundred things a day. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it too. A, a little bit more strategized, uh, a little bit more, why are we taking this? Is it, is it for something that, uh, that I know to be 
beneficial because it's preventing or or treating like I've been recommended this and um, and so so on the topic of joint pain um, I try to assess how much inflammation is there versus it more of just a cartilage degeneration piece that we're trying to support so for each person what are we really trying to bring up for them um, so that I can then strategize what supplements could even be beneficial for them um, glucosamine turmeric and we mentioned collagen are some of the more common ones um, and uh, essential fatty acids so like a fish oil supplementation for example this this is this is this is depending on the case but these are kind of broad broad categories that I think of um, glucosamine I like to use something that's like just bioavailable on its own straight glucosamine um, and and that that can help with pain with regenerative processes of the cartilage tissue when it comes to the um, turmeric and the essential fatty acids those are a little bit of more of what we call inflammation modulation so is there is is that joint really inflamed and are we trying to support reducing that mm -hmm. um, and then the collagen is um, is really I'm getting a nutritional assessment to see if they're getting it dietarily we may not need a supplement supplements are nice but I'll jokingly tell patients that they can't out supplement a, a, a poor diet it's just it's just the cherry on the top here right right the, the, um, the diet's foundation and then supplements are the extra piece yeah. that you can't get from your diet <laughs> yeah and and but yes and and they can be they can be great they can be targeted it can also just get out of control or be something that's just really not well not well absorbed not very bioavailable mm -hmm. or comes with fillers that I don't really think is the best for somebody um, and so yeah if if I am using collagen as a supplementation then again like the glucosamine try to find something that's easy on the stomach easily digestible and that works with them um, like so many supplements out there there's powders and and capsules and uh, and a patient was just telling me about collagen water. Um, I, <laughs> that one's kind of new to me, but it's about what fits, fits someone's diet. Because if, I, if I'm recommending a powder and they have to mix it into something, but they don't like how it tastes, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's gotta be the right fit. Right, the compliance is a huge part of that. I'm always trying to figure out how do I tap into their brain and, and their mental, State so that they can make the change but it's also I mean if they just don't like something over time you're gonna find that it's gonna be just it's gonna be very hard um, I use a lot of capsules in my my practice um, but sometimes people prefer liquids they're like I'm tired of taking all these pills and I'm like okay well let's just try to work around that <laughs> so you know on the note of supplements I work with a company called Cellcore Biosciences and they were talking about at a convention I went to that they they hold twice a year about how glyphosate is a huge reason why people are having more, more osteoarthritis and joint problems, et cetera. Have you seen that connection too? Oh, that's interesting. I was just looking into some environmental toxicity uh, pieces and now, now you got me interested. I'm gonna have to look into that. Um, I had been seeing uh, connections with a few other environmental toxins. Um, uh, BPA and um, phthalates and uh, heavy metals and unfortunately kind of all of this is present to some degree no right. matter where you are um, 
but uh, that that really makes sense. I, I I'm now going to have to specifically look look for that one. Yeah, yeah, I can give you some information afterwards. Um, but they were showing how in Wisconsin there's a lot of glyphosate sprayed in a certain area. The um, and then there's a lot of lime in that area as well too. So there was a connection with glyphosate and lime as well, which I thought was an interesting correlation. I would never thought of those two things in the same bucket. Um, and on the Lyme note, actually, are you, do you see the connection with Lyme and pain as well too? Uh, yes, I'll, I'll put an asterisk by it that, that I do have much more Lyme literate practitioners that I will be uh, co-working with um, for someone who needs that evaluation and a protocol that's a little bit more um, specific to potentially those types of chronic infections. Um, but, but yes, um, from, from what I know that those um, chronic spirochete uh, diseases are eating into connective tissue, joint tissue over time, and can for some people be a major contributor to their pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So we talked about a lot of different ways that you go about treating a person with pain. Why does it sometimes not work? Uh, I, I would say that, that I always want to hear more about what, what, what is it that, that has not been working for patients. So um, uh, generally speaking, if someone has chronic joint pain, they go to a uh, just generally traditional conventional medical model and um, NSAID medication, so your ibuprofen, Aleve, something like that is commonly recommended. Then sometimes patients are then uh, referred to physical therapy, which I, I like physical therapy. It's just that we're looking at one piece of joint pain in the case of that. Like how are the joints moving and, and do they need, um, uh, do, do those muscles need to be activated? Do they need to be strengthened in that area? which is great, but if it's any of those other causes that we've already mentioned in terms of nutrition, in terms of hormones, all those kind of things, lifestyle, uh, then, then the physical therapy can be limited in, in terms of its, its success. And patients are often given titles of you failed physical therapy, uh, often, uh, well, I should say often with my patients, then they're, okay, we'll go talk to the surgeon, Sometimes there's, there's a surgical indication, we could say. Um, oftentimes they say, well, it's not bad enough, so, so let's check in in five years, let's check in in 10 years. And that really gets to me on a, on a, on a personal uh, emotional level because then, then, you're, then you're feeling stuck. Then you're, then you're feeling like, okay, well, I did the things they said and that didn't work. And now I'm told to just live with this pain day in and day out for a decade until I get quote unquote bad enough uh, to, to, to then uh, have, have that surgery. Um, so I, I would say that there, it's just that our, our medical systems are siloed is, is what they'll often say. So, so the joint person looks over here and the endocrinologist is way over there and, and there's no communication back and forth. The nutritionist is is never uh, <laughs> never a piece of this often, and um, so with and and so so that's that's my long winded answer to your question is that there's so many potential things that can be going on, but if every practitioner is only looking at one potential cause, 
then then a lot of it just gets to be overlooked and and the the communication isn't there yeah so that's why standard treatment that there's a flaw in standard treatment right is that we're just segregating all these pieces versus looking at the person as a whole um that's what my discovery has been it sounds like that's what your discovery has been as well yeah there there just isn't uh there there isn't anyone stepping back and saying let's look at the whole person even if we're saying like let's look at every system of the body um there there just really isn't that it's that everything is sort of hyper specialized and and thought of that you know only this one medication could potentially be helpful like anti-inflammatory medication instead of thinking well maybe their joint pain isn't due to an ibuprofen deficiency. I mean, I'll, I'll commonly tell patients, like, I don't think it's an ibuprofen deficiency <laughs> that's the cause of the pain. If, if, it's, if it's a hormonal deficiency, then you just can't ibuprofen your way out of that. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, this, this leads me to a common point I make with a lot of these different practitioners I bring on this podcast is it always goes back to what's the root right? You might have several different roots that need to be addressed. And, you know, one root that like, let's say nutrition that's being looked at could be a, a huge catalyst for you feeling better. But if you're not dealing with the other structural component, or maybe the mental component, or whatever it is, the, the other aspects of why that, that um, pain or that disease, etc, surface in the first place, um, you can be spinning your wheels, because it's not I never find personally in my practice, it's never just one thing. It's usually a combination of a group of things and that whole thing needs to be considered and looked at. And even if it's not our area of expertise, keeping those people that are near to us that we can bounce you know, each other off of or, or, or work with um, as a team to help our, our patients and our clients um, totally can just take our client's success to a whole nother level. So where do you practice out of? Uh, so I have two clinics in Portland and Salem, and I, I mentioned that I that I do a lot of telehealth, and we're still doing that predominantly. Um, I, I do some in-person uh, regenerative injection therapies, so that is something that cannot be done remotely. Um, so for the most point right now, I'm seeing just a very limited number of patients in person. If we're doing some of those uh, in-person procedures, and then maybe following up uh, remotely and seeing patients pretty much all over Oregon, and then just providing the um, the informational and educational material that I can for those uh, beyond Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where your book comes into play, right? Do you want to talk about your book? I'm so excited for that to come out. Sure. Yes. Yes. So I'm very excited too. This has been uh, th- this has been a, a long process of putting everything that we've been talking about today kind of together, all in one place, uh, synthesizing. Uh, yeah, everything that I've been learning with my patients, with myself, with uh, brand new research, and uh, and putting putting that all together, and then. Um, uh, all of our quarantines and coronavirus and everything happened. <laughs> I, I I took a small pause because I had to suddenly transition to a virtual practice that I was not uh, uh, that 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 was a new um, uh, a new transition for me. And so now that everything's kind of balanced out on that end, I am now uh, in the I, I see the polishing stages 
just a few weeks out from, uh, from launching. The book is called Younger Joints Today, and it is um, kind of even more of a deep dive of what we've, what we've talked about today with a lot of um, research and further reading, just all about how someone can learn this framework, um, move through the different steps that we've been talking about to identify what, what are the things that have not been looked at for you in terms of joint pain to, to then be able to uh, give yourself that information to then find care or find new types of care or really just get yourself out of that stuck place that I was in, that so many people are in uh, all across the country here. And so I'm, I'm, very, I'm very excited to be uh, releasing that shortly. Yes, and um, I think you said it was at the end of June, I mean, July, sorry, July, 2020, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Uh, we're, we're planning on the, the 27th. Yes. All right. July 27, 2020. That's the day. And so where can people find more information about you and the new book that's coming out? Sure. So uh, my website is drcortal, uh, C-O-R-T-A-L. So like drcortal.com. Um, on, on there is kind of all the information about me, about the injection procedures I was mentioning, kind of every, everything that I do. Um, if anyone is interested, I also have a seven hidden causes of joint pain free download. It's right on the, the front page. Um, you can find it there. And if you're more of a social media person, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. And so it's my full name with the DR in front. So Dr. Angela Cortal, you can find me on either of those channels. All right, great. Well, listeners, I don't know about you, but I know I need to listen to this again. And I'm sure that there's some nuggets that I can take from it as well too. Uh, and just going over the content, um, Dr. Angela, I'm so, uh, Cortal, sorry. She, I mean, just, your, your wealth of knowledge and so blessed to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking an, an hour of your day to spend with myself and the audience and the future people that are going to listen to this. I know that they're going to be totally blessed. So thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. <laughs> yeah. And thank you again, listeners for tuning in and we will go ahead and tune, tune in next week. Um, I, again, I'm so grateful for you guys as well. This is why uh, Dr. Cortell and, and me, myself, we do this work we do because we want to see you guys living and thriving and li uh, living life to the fullest, really, and not having to go through pain, not having to suffer uh, for no reason when there's actually answers out there. So thank you again. And we will tune again next week. Thank you for listening to the Wellness Trinity Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more wellness tips to help you achieve optimal health. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.